A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everybody, welcome to Homo Sapiens. I come to you from a car racing through the English countryside. Um, hence it's a little noisy perhaps. Um, but it's a beautiful day. The sun is rising, it's early in the morning. Twinkling across green fields. And I'm going to myself, life is good. And it's been raining loads the past few weeks. Past few weeks, yeah. Did you know in like old Saxon times, February was called Muddy Month? Now, that would explain a lot because I don't know if anyone else has this, but basically once December is complete, and actually I get that January is cold, but once January is complete, I'm like, cool, so shorts? And you have this sort of weird February, March, maybe even April, I can't even remember, I forget every year, where it's cold, but things are looking up today the sun has come out i'm seeing daffodils coming up in the garden must note uh i've seen blossom on trees um and that just makes you feel good doesn't it it lifts your soul speaking of lifting your soul here we are coming to you on a saturday because it's lgbt history month so we're doing some more extra exciting content today we're talking to crystal from drag race uk and we're talking about Crystal's court case, libel case. Libel being, if you say something, if someone says something about you, you can that isn't correct, you can sue them. We're talking about Crystal's libel case against Lawrence Fox, right wing. Um, people call him a bigot. <clears throat> I don't think anyone's wrong there. Um, and it's a really what to, what this conversation is is a brilliant story about what to do when you know that you should stick up for yourself. We go into the whole thing in the conversation, exactly what happened. So I'm going to save that for now. But um, suffice to say, Lawrence Fox said some really bad shit about Crystal. And Crystal said, this is not acceptable. And dug deep and stuck up for themselves and launched an entire court case against Lawrence Fox and won. Here's the crucial bit. They won. And what happens often with these sorts of things is people don't win. Uh, and I think that makes people shy from sticking up for themselves because they're very, you know, law, the law and court cases are long, expensive, complicated things. But 
Crystal has made a little bit of LGBT history this month because Crystal took on the bigots and won. So this is an uplifting, joyous story. We'll get into the details in a moment. Now, if you haven't caught up on our latest episode, LGBT History Month special with icon, the trailblazer, Lisa Power, please do. Um, So many lovely messages from you all about that. Uh, Lisa just tells a great story. I want to do more with her about LGBT history. So if you agree, write in. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram. That's where everyone seems to message. Um, Now, do you fancy having your heart warmed? Feeling inspired? Feeling like you have the power for change in your hands? Feeling like when you worry about whether you should stick up for yourself? An, An empowering story of, yes, you should. Well, look no further. Because this chat with Crystal is so brilliant. And for that very reason, I'm going to press play. I'm going to gaze out the window. The sun coming up across the sky, across the sky, twinkling over the lovely fields of England. Oh, there's a load of seagulls. What's a seagull doing in a field? Um, Here's Crystal. This is an auspicious moment for us because it's not often we have a real life. I'm going to say law change, although no laws would change. But, you know, someone who's doing some big, serious shit. Wow. Put that on my tombstone. We'll come on to we'll come on to your ideal funeral, actually, in a minute. But that's not why we're gathered here today. <laughs> I mean, you must be riding high, right? I feel pretty good. It's like not exactly the format I expected to be experiencing a career rejuvenation. I always say <laughs> if it gets me money or attention, I'll do it. Honestly, between you and Sophie Ellis-Bexter, it's been a big <laughs> month. <laughs> you know, we're often mentioned in the same sentences. Well, it's a lot of glitter. There's a yeah. lot of glitter. There's disco balls. There's justice. There's murder. There's murder. I mean, I mean no, 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 nothing, nothing. There's baddies being slayed. How does that sound? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Just tell me a little bit of the cheat sheet background of how this all of this justice started. So we have to cast our minds back to October 2020. Is this before like wide leg trousers were a thing? Absolutely. Yeah, we were still wearing skinny trousers. And I think we were locked in our houses for the second time in the UK. Maybe third. I don't know. Who can remember? It was a Sunday night. I saw a tweet from Lawrence Fox, who was quote tweeting Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's were talking about Black History Month and Sainsbury Street said, if you don't want to shop with an inclusive retailer, please shop elsewhere. Lawrence Fox tweeted at Sainsbury's and called them racists and said they were promoting racial segregation and he encouraged a boycott. And I just thought that was the most blatantly racist thing I'd ever seen. So I called him a racist. I said something like, imagine being this proud of being a racist. So cringe. And he retaliated by calling me a pedophile. I wasn't the only one. There were two other people who called him a racist that night and two other people who were called a pedophile by him. And we very quickly sought some legal advice because it was very strange. Like I put my phone down for half an hour and I picked it back up and it was just like so many notifications. I'd never had really anything like it except for when I was announced on Drag Race. And it was a real mix of people being like, Lawrence Fox has done this. Can you believe it? And also a lot of nasty people calling me a a pedo, a nonce, a groomer, it, thing, gross, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like 
the meeting of two like waves of people and it was all happening on my in my notifications on Twitter. So it was very weird and scary and overwhelming and confusing. I quickly got put in touch with a lawyer who had represented Jack Monroe against Katie Hopkins, if you remember that situation. Who also won. Who also won. And that was actually the first ever defamation trial tested on Twitter. So I was in good hands because it was someone who'd actually argued a defamation case on, on Twitter before. And he we sent out a letter pretty quickly asking him to withdraw it and apologize and issue a statement affirming that it was not true. And he actually, instead of doing that, decided to sue us for calling him racist. So we, we, we sent like a letter saying, you know, retract this or we'll sue you and like issue an apology. And instead of doing that, he doubled down and said, I'm going to sue you for calling me racist. And then it took three, three years to get to, to trial, to get a verdict. And we've just had that last week and we won on all counts. Did you follow him? No. Okay, you just saw it. I must have been someone else quote tweeting him that made me see yeah. it because this was before Twitter, I think, even had like a for you and before it was like constantly shoving the worst opinions of everyone down your throat. It opened this door, didn't it, to like this vitriol from people. But I think it's really important to talk about that and the danger that potentially puts you in and how real that is, I suppose, right? Yeah, I think if he hadn't quote tweeted me, it would have stayed pretty quiet. But it was, yeah, it was very much as a result of him calling me a pedophile that it just like unleashed the hounds, the proverbial hounds. How did you feel in that moment? I think somewhere between like confused and concerned. It's really hard to know what like the long term impact of that was going to be. It was clear that a lot of his followers kind of believed it. And at the time, we actually Googled my name and pedophile and found a drag queen in Wales who was a convicted sex offender with a very similar drag name to me. So I was concerned that it was a case of mistaken identity and that he had gotten me mixed up with someone else and I was going to have my reputation tarnished as a result. The real irony is that Simon Blake, who was one of my co-claimants and co-defendants, there's also a Simon Blake who's a convicted child sex offender. So it was like he had Googled us with the expectation that we were sex offenders and found these other people and thought they were us and then tweeted it. It was very bizarre. So that was like part of the real concern at the time. Then it started getting picked up by the media that he'd done it. And I was like, oh God, if people Google this, are they going to find this other person? Are they going to think it's true? I need to do something about this to basically make sure that no one gives it any credence. And who did you have that first kind of conversation with where you're like, I think I want to do something properly legal about this? Uh, with my husband, probably, who is a lawyer. It's a completely different kind of law. It's completely irrelevant, his training. I'm sure he'd love you to say that. <laughs> well, no, he's very niche in like science. It couldn't be further from what he does, but he obviously has the right brain for it. We talked it over and then I talked with Mark Lewis, who ended up being my lawyer. And I talked to Simon and Nicola, who ended up being my claimants and co-claimants. And we all sort of collectively came to the decision that it was the right thing to do. And also that we had a good case. First things first, now you're in, so now you're in a legal, I wanted to use the word tango for some reason. What were you thinking first? Was it assemble my case or what the hell am I going to wear to court? You know, Winona Ryder will always be our North Star. How did you feel you were going to fit into the canon? I obviously really wanted to go and drag, but my lawyer said it might undermine the seriousness of my case. The, the fashion stuff was weird because as a queer person, it was important to me to not try and do some kind of 
respectability politics. I was exactly going to ask you that, yeah. I didn't want to assimilate. I've had a job in the past where I had to wear a suit to work, and it made me feel like crap. I was like, it's not me. I actually became a drag queen because I had a job where I had to wear a suit to work. And I was like so stifled at work that I basically exploded into transvestitism on the <laughs> weekends. So I was like, there's no way I'm going back to that. So I had to figure out some way of making it mine. And yeah, it just involved a lot of baggy trousers, basically, and, and deconstructed. Well, it is 2024. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you about this person I know who got the law changed on upskirting. Oh, okay. She was talking about when she sort of went to lobby and I think did things. No, I don't think she did anything in court. But anyway, when she went to do lobbying and presenting in those those places like Houses of Parliament, etc., how there was a sort of, I don't want to get her wrong, but a slightly unspoken language of how you dress and how you present. And I think she said that she kind of regrets that she played by the rules, wore all black and presented as, as very efficient and all of that. It's always stayed with me, that kind of thing. And, and I think in relevance to you and like showing up in drag or could you or could you not? It's like, what is that space? Like, is that space deliberately neutral for everybody concerned? Or is that you conforming? It's an interesting mm. question, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe were I just a defendant and not a claimant, I might have shown up more demurely because of the nature of the case and because it did involve blatant homophobia. I think it was important to come with nail polish on, come with an earring in, just like these more subtle ways of signifying who I was while also trying to look like someone who was respecting the court and respectful yeah. of the judge and taking it seriously. It's a fine line to, to tread for sure. And so prior to the case, how involved were you? Were you, because it's sort of interesting in the fact that it's a tweet, you sort of hand that over mm. to your representatives, right? And it's basically three years of letters going back and forth. There was a trial of preliminary issue, which decided like the basic facts of the case. There was an appeal on that from him. He also wanted to get a trial by jury, which was denied. So there were like many sort of flare ups and hearings, but everything was done remotely or via just letters back and forth between lawyers. It kind of was just happening in the background and you could kind of forget about it for the most part. And then all of a sudden, we're going to the Royal Courts of Justice. It's going to be eight days. You're on the docket. Your lawyer's like, okay, make sure you remember that the Daily Mail is going to be there out front day one. Think about whether or not you want to go in the main entrance or the side entrance. Like, oh, wow, this is real. This is actually kind of happening now. Did you and Lawrence have to show up for every day, Lawrence Fox? Yes. Again, it was partially to show how seriously I think that you're taking all of the proceedings that you're there mm. for all day. It was a fascinating experience and um, it was satisfying to have a chance to like really get my point of view about it all across and to feel like I was actually having a chance to, you know, literally have my day in court. Mm. And what surprised you most about that kind of fascinating experience? What surprised me the most? I, I Probably his testimony. It was just so unhinged. He was in the stand for th nearly three days and he was just talking like a, a mad a madman, you know, about racism, about woke ideology, you know, just ranting and raving and, and saying so many things that just were digging the hole deeper. It was his job to basically prove that no reasonable person could hold the opinion that he was a racist. I, I would, there wasn't actually a ruling on this, but I would say he spectacularly failed at that because, you know, he said the N-word, he defended blackface, he did the haka. When asked in the stand if I hate black people would always be a racist statement, he said, no, not always. 
What if you've just gotten out of an all-male Ugandan prison where you've been gang raped? Maybe then you could say, I hate black people. Like out of, out of the ether, these things were coming out of his mouth and you could just feel and watch the room kind of shift and kind of go crazy when he said this because, but like in this very stifled, respectable British way, because no one's actually allowed to say or make any noise. So you just kind of have to like clear your throat and stare at the floor and be like, I can't believe this is happening. Tell me what the sort of structure of those eight days is. You hear opening arguments and then Simon was in the stand for about a day and a half. I was in the stand for a day and a half. And then Lawrence was in the stand for three days. And then Nicola was in the stand for a day and a half. And then it was a day of closing arguments. The days aren't super long. It's like five hours once you take into account like lunch and and breaks. So it's not like super long days. Well, I've done jury service. So I, I understand the hours. I understand the glamour. No one cared what I was wearing. But um, it's not about me. What I found really interesting about when I was doing jury service, my husband is also a lawyer, by the way. They are, it's sort of weirdly like so formal, but then also like in between, super relaxed. So presumably you would run into Lawrence Fox and stuff. Yeah, that was that was very strange. I would send my husband into the loo ahead of me to make sure he wasn't at a urinal because last thing I wanted was to be pissing next to Lawrence Fox like I just couldn't imagine anything worse and it did happen once that we were like we crossed each other in the loose and it's like oh and then you're like do I hold the door for this man you're just suddenly faced with this weird predicament of like being polite the way you figure it out is to just basically try and ignore him as much as possible and pretend he's not there did you hold the door I probably did you know I'm Canadian I can't help myself but also we turn the other cheek. Exactly. The door was going to hit him on the way out anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> And what was he like in that moment? Did he acknowledge you? I'd say both of us were awkwardness personified. You're having an altercation, but it's so mediated that like you actually can't really handle being face to face with each other. Also, you're very concerned about being in contempt of court. You can't say anything. Nicola, on one day had one of his supporters cost her at lunch and call her a mm. wicked woman and say how disgusting she was trying to ruin his career or whatever she thought. I find it very odd how people aren't segregated. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tell me a m- bit more about Lawrence on the stand. What was he like? It's tricky being on the stand because obviously the barrister who is cross-examining you is trying to get you to agree to their point of view. So you do have to be defensive to a degree while still seeming like an open and honest person who isn't trying to hide something. So it's a fine line 
And what I would say is that he really struggled to agree to anything. And he got really angry a, a couple of times. You could see him get really red. I think it really unnerved him as well that our barrister was a woman. Really? I think he really didn't like that. And the, the most vitriol he had was for Nicola as well. He offered an apology to Simon and I for calling us pedophiles. He didn't offer one to her. And he still kind of maintains that like she's the real problem in, in all of this. And he, he even said in the, on the stand that, oh, in different circumstances, Colin and Simon and I could probably be friends. And we're just sat there like, what is this man talking about? What world is he on? It was a strange thing to watch. Our barrister was going through in the attempt to demonstrate that it was reasonable for someone to hold the opinion that he was a racist, mm. was basically going through a litany of his tweets over the last few years where a reasonable person might think that was a racist thing to say or do. Like telling a black person to fuck off back to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems like something a racist might say. So she's reading out this litany of disgusting, horrible things he's done and said on Twitter. And it's like, in a lot of ways, it was really satisfying to hear and to have that all on the record. It was like the opposite of a greatest hits, if that makes sense. Like a, yes. like a greatest shits. Lawrence's mm. greatest shits. But I could have listened to that all day, in a way. Well, it's so weird, isn't it? Because Twitter is at once so throwaway, but then the repercussions are real, as you discovered. And you think about all these things that he says, and, it, and everyone kind of goes, oh, for God's sake. It's without doubt how damaging and toxic he is and all of that is. But at the same time, there is, in 2024, this kind of collective eye roll about those people, but actually it's way bigger than that. It permeates culture. Yeah, it's an emboldening of people. He gets to say the quiet parts so that bigger, dumber people can do the loud part. It does shift the dial and it normalizes language, abuse and opinions that really should never be normalized. I was never called a pedophile before he did it to me. And since then, it happens all the bloody time. The Daily Mail will do a hit piece on me. I get featured on libs of TikTok. I get emails sent saying if I ever show my face in Southend again, it's going to not end well for me. I've been threatened physically wow. on the street. And I can't tie all of that to like his rhetoric. And I can't say that there's like a direct correlation to what he said and, and all of this, but there's got to be some consultation. Well, also it's tied to you being a drag queen, right? And that is because of the dialogue around what drag represents that is wholly incorrect. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, a part of his whole narrative, which he denies that there was anything homophobic in what he was saying, because he thinks it was a rhetorical device. And he's like, I didn't even know Crystal was gay or a drag queen. I thought I was tweeting at a woman. No, he didn't. So did he say that like in the witness stand or whatever? Under oath? Yes. He's, wow. So, he, you know, he maintains it wasn't a homophobic motivated accusation. I mean, it so obviously was. And it's just, it's the kind of language that has become normalized, at least on Twitter. And newspapers like The Telegraph and The Daily Mail, they're not going to come out and call queer people groomers, but they are going to write hit pieces where they imply there is a danger to children from us and let people froth in the comments and let people, um, you know, take those ideas away and, and do the dirty work for them. Because one of the things you said, which I thought was so brilliant to not let go of, is how the link between queer people and paedophiles has always been so strong since, well, you know. We have such a special strong bond. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
but the <laughs> the link that people try and create, you yes. know, and try and associate queerness with some of the most, you know, horrendous acts that can be undertaken on planet Earth. And that is what Lawrence was leaning into. Absolutely. That's why it was particularly dangerous to me, because uh, there are people in this world who are inclined to believe it because I'm gay. And that was part of the judgment that like it was particularly defamatory towards me because I'm a gay person. Most people would agree that that link is a homophobic link now, but they found a new scapegoat with trans people and to a lesser extent with drag queens. It's, it's the new people you can create as bogeymen who are a danger to your children. And won't someone think of the children? It's just such an old, old, old tactic of divide and conquer. And as soon as we get society to agree that a group is worthy of protection, they'll find a new group to to slice off and demonize. Is he all right, Lawrence Fox? <laughs> you know, I question his his mental health and state. What's going on there? I think there are a lot of people experiencing negative mental health issues who don't call people pedophiles. I'm disinclined to give him any sort of get out of jail free card for that. And I think it's more generous than we need to be, to be honest with you. But all this ranting and raving that you're talking about in the witness stand. I think he genuinely believes what he's saying. I also think that he's found it to be very profitable. Another thing that came mm -hmm. out in the witness stand was him admitting that he's being paid £250,000 a year by Reclaim as the leader of this political party, which has no members and no MPs and no politicians and is nothing, essentially. There was an email that he sent that said, I'm getting really rich from this game, and I'd rather be hated and rich than hated and recently fired from Asda. So it's, it's calculated, it's deliberate. I don't think he's going to end up paying his legal fees. I think one of her claims backers will end up doing that. He knows very well what he's doing. He has made mistakes, which is why we were able to take him to court. But for the most part, he's careful enough to toe the line and stay just enough out of trouble that he can keep being inflammatory, keep moving that Overton window and keep getting paid from it, keep getting paid from people's outrage. I mean, look, I know you say we don't need to offer him any compassion, if you know what I mean, but doing that with your life. Yeah, I feel pity for him. But that must come round. There cannot be moments where he doesn't lie in bed going, what on earth am I doing, right? Definitely. He posted a rant last week saying that he was scared for his physical safety and that we were trying to whip up mobs against him. And won't you think of my children? I need them to have a father. I don't know if he believed anything that he was saying, but if he did, it's it just shows like the victim mentality that he's really managed to dig himself into. What's that? acronym darvo oh no what's that if you get accused of something you <gasps> deny yeah. and then you then you accuse and then you reverse deny attack reverse victim and defender right and that's just what he's doing i think it has made him sad and lonely his only friends are the cosplaying priest and the alt-right twitter lords but that is radicalization <laughs> someone else can worry about him you know, maybe his family can check on him. Maybe they can find some compassion. But he messed up my life for three years, so it's not going to be me. How do you feel now? It's all over. You won. It feels fantastic. There's still just so much concern right up until the judgment being released that this somehow wouldn't go my way. Having that all clear is just its a huge, huge, huge relief. Mm. The response has been incredible. I think a lot of people were also holding that stress with me and... 
people are really celebrating someone getting punished for doing something that a lot of queer people have experienced. And so it sends the message. And when you think about it in your, terms of your own life, sticking up for yourself, is that something you've always done? Does it make you reflect on different parts of your life where you wish you had more? I'm a pretty conflict-averse person, actually. When it comes to like one-on-one, I will always be like the de-escalator. Me too. But I guess it's it was a bit easier in this circumstance because there was a, a layer of separation because it was online and through lawyers that didn't feel quite so dangerous in a way. And I just always knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I feel good about it. I'm glad I did it. Are you from a family who sticks up for themselves? I'm from a, yes, I'm from a family of hippies and activists. They're all just very happy to see him lose and also me stand up for myself. Everyone's just, yeah, really happy. I will say this, that it's not over yet and we don't have damages awarded yet. Who knows how that's going to go? And he's also threatening to appeal. So it could be a while before this is all done and dusted, but it Mm. feels like we're pretty close now. Tell me about the Elwoods outfit, Elwoods (laughs) from Legally Blonde. As I said, I wanted to go to court in drag and they wouldn't let me. We were expecting to have the judgment handed down in person in court. And when that happens, you get um, an advanced copy embargoed. So my plan was always, if I won, was to go to court in drag, because at that point, it doesn't matter if I look like I'm not taking it that seriously, because it's been done. And to make a bit of a spectacle, to remind people that you can be silly and serious at the same time. It's the whole point of Legally Blonde is that no one takes her seriously, because she's frilly and frivolous. And, you know, that's a lot of a lot of times what people think about drag queens and about queer people. So it would have been very satisfying to do that in court and to make a statement outside of the court but unfortunately it was handed down online so i did the next best thing which was take the opportunity to be on tv the next day and and do it there great you looked amazing thank you i really wanted a chihuahua i think that would have really (laughs) sealed the deal i was hot gluing these feathers to a makeup brush so i could just have like a at least some prop (laughs) you know taking it very seriously the little detail of the of the fluffy pen was my favorite bit What's she going to write down with that? It, it was so good. It just felt like the perfect ending to such a long journey for you. Your whole team, you know, and all of you managed to make into a huge success. Yeah. And as I say, the response has been amazing. The interest that people have had in it has been really gratifying. I had some like really nice messages from people that I really admire, which is pretty cool. Shirley Manson from Garbage. She's been following the whole thing. Really nice. You don't expect to hear from these people. And even yourself reaching out like this podcast. I love this podcast. It's it's really nice to have a chance to talk about your story like this. It's been very, very satisfying. And hopefully that's going to continue to translate into other opportunities. But even if, if nothing else happens after this, I'm just very satisfied that this managed to happen for our community. I think what you've done that I love so much is that you've had the patience to stick up for yourself mm-hmm. and the confidence and the wherewithal. But also, there's something about patience because it takes a long time to do these yeah. things. It sets an example and a, and a really, really brilliant reminder that we can't just let this stuff slide. Mm. It's the beginning, it's the thin end of the wedge of all this other stuff and the real the ramifications are real. So... What often happens, unfortunately, I find in these situations is that because legal stuff is so complicated, said like a true legal expert, people often don't win. So to see you win is, and not not that that makes it any better or worse, but to see you win is very just simple and vindicating and Mm -hmm. I think fantastic for you 
and for all the other people involved and for the queer community in general. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully it's a reminder to the Lawrence Foxes of the world that defamation laws exist. They're pretty robust in this country. And maybe we're not going to get the the anonymous Twitter trolls. But if you're going to bother to pay Musk for a blue tick and have your name out there, and you're going to start saying some horrible, nasty things, then there might be consequences. Get in touch, stay connected on Instagram at Homo Sapiens, Facebook at Homo Sapiens Podcast. Email your comments, your questions, your agony uncles, hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Look out for next week's episode with the creator of Heartstopper. We've got Alice Oseman. It's a great chat. Um, have a lovely weekend, you all. I'll let you get back to your weekends. Um, tell us your plans. What's everybody doing? Bye now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.